You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined on Blogging Heads TV. Uh, I'm your host, Aria Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Joshua Cohen. Uh, Joshua, could you please introduce yourself? I'm Joshua Cohen. I'm a writer, uh, um, and mostly a novelist, also write some nonfiction. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's good enough. But the the, uh, the the main occasion for your appearance is you have a novel, a new novel that came out recently. Uh, the title is The Nanyahus, an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode in the history of a very famous family. Um, that is and, true. So thank you for coming on to talk about it. And I, I feel like in some ways this novel is like aimed squarely at my like personal demographic uh, for reasons we'll maybe get into, but what is um, what is uh, sort of the elevator pitch uh, <laughs> summary of of this novel? Yeah, I, I like that. No, uh, it's aimed for personal demographic. You know, no nobody's writing novels for men these days. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, the the what is an elevator pitch of this thing? I you know. That's a bad elevator, man. That's a that's not an elevator. You, you know, it's an ele- that's an elevator stuck between floors or plummeting. Uh, uh, it's it's essentially um, the story of uh, of Benzio Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu's father, who, uh, uh, for various reasons, we can you know get into or not, was was kind of persona non grata in 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 um, in Palestine in in pre state Israel. Um, and, uh, couldn't get a job there, um, at the, the nascent Hebrew university and, um, and kind of comes to the States and, uh, peddles himself around the adjunct circuit. He's a professor of, of history. Um, he's a historian that specializes in the medieval period and specifically in the Inquisition. See, this elevator ride is already getting very long. Yeah. And, but the, uh, and, the other and, passengers and, and, have, uh, have, uh, yeah, yeah. They've all associated. So, uh, uh, and, and, and he ends up applying for a job at, at this, uh, college, fictional college called Corbin College, where a, a professor of U.S. economic history of taxation studies named Ruben Blum, uh, uh, is asked to kind of chaperone him, escort him around. And, uh, uh, the real reason he's asked to do that is because, uh, uh, you know, Benzio Netanyahu is one of his own, uh, meaning that he's, uh, Ruben Blum is a Jew. He's the only Jew on the faculty. This is set in the winter of 1959-1960 and Benzio Netanyahu shows up with his wife and his three kids in tow, uh, Yoni, uh, uh, Bibi and, uh, Ido and his wife Tila. And uh, they proceed to kind of trash the place. <laughs> um, so parts of so this is this novel is told from the perspective largely of a fictional character, Ruby Blum, but the events are based on things that actually happened. And uh, Benzion or Benzion, I mean, do people in America call him Benzion um, or did they always say Benzion? I don't know. I mean, people call him a- everything. I don't know. They also call Ruben Blum Bloom. So, uh, so I, you know, I say, I say Benzio Netanyahu, but, um, uh, and I so, say. So the literal translation that would be Son of Zion. Um, and yes. that was the, the, that was Bibi Netanyahu's father. And mm-hmm. he, uh, was a historian of, um, 
medieval Iberia, and correct me if I'm saying anything that's incorrect, and he was very long-lived and lived to be like 100 or 101. Um, and yeah, he had these, he had three sons, uh, one of whom later became uh, prime minister of Israel and was the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history. And only recently was, you know, uh, I guess only you're right is he was still prime minister and was just dislodged fairly recently. I, I think that the book came out the, uh, the week after um, uh, the end of, uh, at least the end for now of, of Bibi's reign. Yeah. And his older brother, Yoni, uh, Yoni Netanyahu was the, the, the hero of, um, of Antebi. He um, was the, the single um, casualty on the Israeli side, a, a commando, when they went to um, free the hostages of the Air France flight that was hijacked and brought to um, uh, Uganda. And, uh, and so he became, this happened in 1976, so his older brother sort of became this, this you know, national hero, this martyr, this kind of symbol of Israeli sacrifice and daring, their willingness to kind of go anywhere and do anything um, to save their own. And, uh, and then the third son, um, Ido, who, um, radiologist and a playwright, used to lived in upstate New York for a while. Okay. And the, um, so the novel is set in Corbin, Corbin College in Corbindale, New York, which mm-hmm. seems to bear some resemblance to Ithaca, New York and Cornell University. It's more, it seems to be more westerly in Western New York than, than yeah, it's Canada. more you know Chautauqua County. I mean, I have to say that you know I I love the 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 all of these these the, not all of these it's flattering but these reviews that that were you know this could not have happened at Cornell in this year and this year and you know and I I, I never said it happened at Cornell. I never said <laughs> Corbin. In, in fact, it never you know you never said it really happened at all because it's a novel and right and 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 well you know. I, I just, I, I, uh, um, I didn't want to write, uh, uh, any specific place. And, 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 um, and certainly if given the choice between writing, um, New Haven and writing Ithaca, I, uh, uh, I would much prefer, you know, the, um, uh, you know, to me, Ithaca's exotic, you know, New Haven is something a little bit closer to what, to what I'm used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so, um, where should we go with this? Well, I'll, so the book is dedicated to Harold Bloom, um, the renowned literary critic who passed away just a couple of years ago. And, uh, you talk at the end that the, the novel was inspired by an anecdote that the actual Harold Bloom who was a, a friend of yours and an admirer of yours, um, described to you. Um, and, but, you, uh, your character, your main, your main character's name or narrator's name is Blum, not, not Bloom. And he's not a, uh, you know, literary theorist and English, uh, professor who could re- recite, you know, uh, reams of romantic poetry by, by memory. He's a, uh, yeah, economic historian and studies, uh, taxation and an Americanist. Um, so how did you, so how did you decide that to combine uh, real historical figures with fictional, fictional, fictionalized characters, and that this was the the story to tell. Right. I mean, I, I just I don't think that I could have written um, Harold Bloom. I think that I mean, first of all, there there you know there's the issue of having Benzio Netanyahu, who is already uh, severe and an enormous figure, right on the page. 
and to put Harold there also, or a version of Harold, there would be no air in the room. And um, also writing Harold, it would seem, you know, that I would be making all of it up because he was so larger than life. He was, um, he was literally incredible. He, he did not, um, his talents were, um, were freakish in a way. And uh, his talents of recall, his memory, his associative capacities, um, you know, it, it, it would, he truly was an instance of truth being stranger than fiction. And I, 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 I wouldn't have, you know, sort of dared to put it on the page. That said, you know, there is, there are versions of, 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 of Harold here. Um, you know, one of the things that I really thought about, um, was his influence theory, right? The anxiety of influence, which is probably his, you know, let's say most, um, m- most famous or, uh, 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 idea about, you know, how does a writer find their voice? Um, a writer is always reacting, an artist is always reacting to influence to previous generations, but more specifically to a misreading or a misinterpretation of previous generations, um, whether a conscious misreading, you know, or an unconscious misreading. And, 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 you know, uh, uh, the idea of, you know, a writer, a real writer's, um, voice is born from that encounter and um and that entire idea about the past and about um what is owed and um what is owed to influence what is owed to tradition i really wanted to bring into the book through uh, in some way and i feel like i did that through the taxation studies the idea of you know what what do we owe what is uh-huh. what is owed um uh-huh. that was my that that was a you know a, a small amount of of of, of tribute there Mm-hmm. So, so Ruben Blum is not Harold Bloom, but, um, you obviously are playing with a sort of, you know, metafictional, uh, line or something. And so you had, you know, you decided to name him Blum instead of Bloom. And he-, he shares some aspects of the actual Harold Bloom's biography, at least in the biggest outlines of being born in the Bronx and being raised, uh, in the sort of ultra Orthodox, um, Family and then no, so he wasn't. He wasn't raised. I mean, he was raised, you know, Yiddish speaking, you know, uh, Odessan garment cutters. Okay. Well, but wasn't he? Oh, okay. Well, you obviously knew him personally. Um, yeah. He, um, but his first language was Yiddish, and sure. and was I mean, he was the way I've heard him. I, I remember him saying at some point or being quoted as saying that you know he was expected to like become a grand rabbi someday, and he ha- he, must, he thought he must have had like a great rabbi in his lineage that that's how he he, he was able yeah, to yeah, no absolutely i just memorize I just, these I, mass you know these huge fortunes of, of english literature because like the hebrew memorization was like part of right, studying the Talmud right. or something yeah i mean i think i i was just i was just pushing back against the the the, the ultra orthodox thing i mean i think okay. that that you know he was raised i think traditionally i mean you know the, the idea that these distinctions these current distinctions that we use, which in Israel are political distinctions, and here are, I don't even know what kind of distinctions they are anymore in America, uh, 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 to denominate um, observance, um, uh, you know, I, they, 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 they didn't apply, or they, 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 they applied very differently, um, I think, in Harold's, uh, uh, in Harold's mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but why did you, so you could have, um, 
you know, not named your character Blum. Um, so you're playing with us in some yeah. respects. So can you th- talk about why, um, why you kept certain aspects of the biography or the personality, but changed others? Yeah, because it's, I, I don't, you know, it's fun. It's amazing how much, uh, to me, it's, it, I, I, you know, how, how put off people are by it or how people seem it's something new or it's somehow um, invasive or it's somehow uh, uh, unfair, right? To, 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 to make an incursion upon the quote unquote historical record with a bit of imagination. I mean, you know, to me, these are very basic, you know, the, 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 the very, it's a very basic technique. I mean, I, and, and the answer is, is because, you know, the world as it is, is never the world that you want it to be. So, uh, so you end up writing books to, to, to change that because it's the only way in which that can happen, right? I mean, they, or, or at least when you, you know, you become as, um, depressed and, uh, 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 and apathetic in, 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 in your ability to change the real world as, you know, or the physical world as, as I have, uh, 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 I think that, you know, it, there's a recanalization of the energy into the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, 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 the flow between, um, what is real and what is imagined, um, is so, um, unimpeded, is so natural in other parts of, 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 of our lives today. And yet when it comes to books where actually that should be something deeply native to the form, uh, 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 people pause for a moment and say, wow, that's strange. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't have as much of a problem with 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 the, the real and the fictional interpenetrating in their politics, that, you know, or on their TV. You know, that they take that for granted. That's par for the course that 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 we're, we're you know, we're used to seeing that. But but seeing that in a book makes people say the author is really playing with things here. You know, yes, I mean, uh, you know, it. it seems to me that yeah fiction and dream world and reality and reality television which is you know we all know is not reality of you know mm-hmm. uh, all merged in more, more ways than perhaps they did in the past the past couple of years but um okay so if you had told me if this if someone had handed me this book and said you know we we opened up the uh Philip Roth archive and we found a draft of this book in here and this was this was the one he you know never published or something I think I would have maybe bought it. There, so I see, and you also, and you reviewed the Blake Bailey um, biography mm-hmm. of Roth before the sexual assault allegations came out, and you did it in Roth's voice, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Um, and this, so this novel remind me of Operation Shylock and some of other, some of Roth's other work where he is playing with, yeah, playing with metafiction and. Mm-hmm real life and not real life. Um, and then the other writer, this somewhat reminded me of, or another sort of uh, ghost I felt haunting the book was Nabokov. And maybe that's because of the mm-hmm. Ithaca stuff. And you have some like uh, supposed real text in here that are re- printed verbatim, but um, like a letter that someone that an academic sends uh, mm-hmm. saying that uh, Benzio Netanyahu should not be hired because he's a horrible person. Um, right. And, could you talk about, yeah, so we're talking about anxiety of influence. Uh, did any, am I, am I, uh, correct in seeing these traces of these two other, uh, previous writers here? You know, I, I, I stole this book from Roth's archive. I broke in, <laughs> and, you know, there was just, they were like, just don't touch anything in that pile. And I 
shoved it in my bag. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I purposely, I think I, 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 I overlarded this book with, with, um, with references and allusions and, 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 um, tags and colors here and there, you know, from, um, from Roth, uh, 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 from, you know, to a lesser degree, you know, Bellow and Malamud, but the kind of post-war, now we can look back golden age of Jewish writing, like this was obviously an attempt to kind of do a, um, you know, to make some sort of, as they, you know, a simis out of them, right? Like to make a, a kind of, a, you know. You want to, to define simis for, um, for viewers and listeners you, who are you eat to, It's what you eat so you can go to the bathroom. Uh, it's like a, it's a, a, a stew of, 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 um, like, uh, stewed fruits. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a mess. But, um, but the idea was to kind of put into this one pot, you know, all of these sort of elements from, sort of the heyday of Jewish American culture, uh, along with, frankly, uh, uh, and sure, there's some Panin in there. And I mean, that's kind of unavoidable when, when we're doing Ithaca. But really what I was thinking about was the kind of, you know, what, what we can look back on now is a certain golden age of Jewish writing, mm-hmm. but really about a, a certain kind of golden age of, 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 of Jewish assimilation into uh, American popular culture. And so I was thinking uh, a lot about, um, you know, the nascent sitcom, and, uh, 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 and, and the, the sort of early, uh, uh, teleplays and sitcoms that, that were, you know, largely written by Jews. Um, and, you know, what were those forms? How could I incorporate sort of those, that, those rhythms and those forms into my book? You know, I, I, I was thinking all the time of, um, you know, sitcom houses, right? Are very, um, they're very Jewish houses because, everyone's always barging into a door, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, there's, there's, there's no privacy. Like everyone is always kind of screaming at each other, you know, like they, 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 they only have, you know, kind of two modes. It's the loud and the louder. Um, and, but, but really it's that sense of um, you live with, you know, your family, right. Or with uh, uh, friends who are your family who can open the door at any time who can surprise you in the bathroom, who can surprise you in your bed, who are, who are enmeshed in every aspect of your life and know every piece of your business. Um, you know, I think it was the, the aesthetics of, 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 of the sitcom and of the teleplay, let's say for, you know, that, that I, I, you know, it should be the sitcom before it's called the sitcom that I, that I, um, that I was thinking of and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and essentially to make a book then that was made of these, forms you know that was made of these that was made out of these um i think you know jewish signifiers that's uh, that's interesting that i mean i um saying that clarifies certain scenes and there are especially when the kids when the Netanyahu family and the crazy children come in it it, it, it enters sort of a madcap um well, i mean yeah I, I also and i should say something about jewish forms too because you know because that sounds it sounds good, but what does it mean? Right. And, and, and um, I, I think there's this, you know, there's an idea through Yiddish literature um, uh, that, you know, that it wasn't possible to truly write a Jewish national epic, right. In the same way that, um, that, 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 you know, 
to read Tolstoy is to understand Russia, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, uh, Victor Hugo, you will understand France, right? And there, there, there's the German idea of uh, the, the, the national poet, the Nationaldichter, right? Who, who, you know, Goethe is the soul of Germany, right? And so, you know, what are these, you know, what is the Jewish equivalent of a national epic or a national poet or national writer? And um, because dealing with Jews, Jews living in, in many different lands, also writing in many different languages, including different Jewish languages, and um, and not necessarily ever having a, 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 a representative epic outside of, I don't know, Torah. Right. Yeah, that For was. Example. I mean, yeah, the epic of exactly. But 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 no one that is, let's say, produced by man, right? And um and so there is this interesting aversion to epic forms, um in 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 a lot of Yiddish writing, and the form that seems to be the most, uh um that's a nationally representative, um, uh, especially in the Yiddish, you know, in, 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 let's say the heyday of Yiddish literature, um, is the anecdote, right? It's, it's the, the anecdote really being the, the, the documentation of the folk tale, the writing down of the humorous story. Um, you know, this is where I think Yiddish literature reached its perfect form, something like Shalom Alechem, for example. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, this is not a controversial opinion to say Shalom Alechem is, you know, is, 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 is a kind of uh, a highlight of Yiddish literature. But I do think that, that when you ask what are those stories, what are Peretz stories, for example, uh, this idea of the anecdote where um, something that is oral or something that was transmitted orally is written down, it almost has the same structure as a joke where um, a situation is prolonged, prolonged, prolonged till a single climax right? Or, mm-hmm. or a punchline. Um, and, and that was a, a you know, a, a, a very kind of specific form that I was thinking of and wanted to, and wanted to, 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 to incorporate also in the book. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's, um, you know, there are elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned assimilation and that that's one of the major themes. And I guess part of the, and one of the ways this sort of reminded me of Roth was you have sort of characters who are not representative but they are coming from opposing perspectives and there's a clash and you don't i don't often in roth there wouldn't necessarily be a uh you know sort of moral wrapping up of whose perspective was correct or something but the you know the characters are um coming against uh, up against each other and both like sort of giving the best case for what they think and so um so uh and can you talk about, you know, um, that the historical Netanyahu's, uh, the father's, uh, research into the medieval Spain and, uh, Portugal and the, uh, conversos and, and all this other stuff and why, you know, why, and versus the assimilationism of mid-century American Jews and, you know, how, how did you, it's, I mean, it's a very interesting theme and obviously something that Jews continue to um, argue about today. Uh, can you talk more about how you brought that sure, in? I mean, I think, I mean, the primary, the primary, um, let's say antagonism or, or, or debate in the book is between, um, you know, an assimilationist, uh, um, 
but liberal humanist, let's say, uh, idea. Um, and uh, and Benzio Netanyahu's, which is a hardline um, identitarian idea, right? Um, you know, it, it, to my mind, it's always ironic that a lot of the, you know, things that Benzio Netanyahu said, and this is a man pretty far on the right, almost as far on the right as you can get at some points in his life, um, um, you know, espoused um, um, certain identity-based ideas that that I wanted to show uh, uh, that today were reflected in the left. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, no, this was, Benzio Netanyahu was a person who believed that um, uh, in the Amalekite idea of, of Jewish history, that um, that the Jews were never safe and never would be safe unless they had their own country with their own um, abilities to defend themselves. Um, he, he mistrusted, um, uh, through a study of history, what he learned was that uh, history was a, uh, um, a cycle of repressions, uh, 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 murders, um, betrayals, pogroms. Um, he did not think that there was a, a room for Jewish life in a diaspora. Uh, and then once the state of Israel was founded, it, it, it sort of, um, you know, the state of Israel almost obviated the need for any other countries because, uh, because all Jews should make Aliyah and, 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 um, and this for him was a political, um, let's say replacement for, um, for messianism, right? Like Israel was the, um, was the translation into political terms of the Jewish messianic ideal. Uh, and Reuben Blum's a liberal, you know, which I mean, you know, in certain circles can be seen as a, a dirty word these days and certainly has taken its own kind of Clintonian hits. Uh, uh, but but what I mean by that is, you know, he, he sort of takes all comers um, and um, he also expects from his guests you know, from his guests who become his really antagonists, you know, that they will play fair in a way. So he has that also naivete of the liberal that we're all rational actors um, attempting to broker compromise to the benefit of all. And Benzio Netanyahu comes in this house and, you know, can can we eat your food? Sure. Can we drink your drinks? Sure. Can, can, you know, your daughter babysit, you know, my, my sons? Sure. Can, uh, um, my wife borrow your wife's clothes? Sure. You know, can my eldest son, um, fuck your daughter? Sure. And it's this liberal thing of, of giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and never knowing where to stop. Um, or being anxious to the point of stasis about where to draw your own hard line. Because at that moment, you know, liberalism takes on a different face. And, um, and so I, uh, I wanted to show truly that conflict. Um, uh, uh, the liberal humanist, um, meeting the, 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 um, the right wing ideologue and, um, and trying to understand each critiques of the other. Um, so one of the, as you present, sorry, sorry, and in that, and in that, sorry, I didn't say one of the things, and in that way, and in that way, um, 
you know, Benzion's um, true, his scholarship, because you were mentioning medieval Iberia and the Inquisition that, you know, in, in that conflict in the book, I think that, you know, Benzion's scholarly interest in, in, in the 15th century and the Inquisitions um, really is revealed as, as um, not necessarily a, 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 a responsible career in history, but as an attempt to marshal evidence for um, a, G- a justification of, um, of Jewish autonomy in Israel. Mm-hmm. Saying, you know, I've done the research of what our history is in exile, um, what our history is in, in, in Galut. Um, here, is, uh, 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 here is the case stated. And a lot of ways I think his career was um, an attempt to piece together a, um, um, an intellectual history uh, uh, that can also serve as a justificatory framework um, for the modern state of Israel. So a- as you present his research, it's sort of like um, a rebuttal of assimilationism because in medieval Iberia, there were a number of Jews who converted to Catholicism and they, I guess, were, and please, again, correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. Um, the, so they were sort of called the conversos, but then, uh, generation to generation, they essentially uh, seemingly were just r- regular Catholics uh, within society. And then the Inquisition was uh, a way to uh, sort of, you know, peel back the layers of assimilation and say, oh, these people, they were just Jews all along, even if their great grandparents were the ones who converted and they had lived as Roman Catholics, um, you know, for, for generations. And so Yes. Yeah. Assim- assimilationism is is ultimately always going to fail because uh, to the non-Jew, like the Jew is always the Jew. Is this an accurate summary? I mean, it's accurate for our purposes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I look I look at it a little bit differently. Um, I don't. I mean, it's interesting to look at it through the assimilationist lens, which is, I guess, is an interesting, uh, which is the, the the lens that an American, you know, that that American jury, I guess, would would be most comfortable looking at this, like looking at at, at his ideas through. Um, I see it more as a, um, and I believe Benzino Netanyahu did as well himself. Uh, 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 his research was was playing with. The moment um, that truly racialized Judaism. Um, so the idea is, oh, you know, you are you you know you're a converso, or you know you, you're you're a Catholic, you're second generation Catholic, you're third, you know, right, you're third generation Catholic, and maybe you married other Jews who have converted to Catholicism, right? But um, here's news for you. Um, what you were was not a faith. What you were was a race. And, um, and the blood is the thing that damns you. And it was in a sense, the racialization of, 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 of Jewry or the acknowledgement of the racialization of Judaism or the entrenchment of the racialization of, you know, Judaism as a criteria, uh, that is interesting, you know, that, that, that is in some way, uh, uh, uh useful to, um, non-Jews, right? Uh, that draws the line uh, in Benzio Netanyahu's work between the 15th century and the Nuremberg Laws, right? This idea that 
you know, there was a certain quantum of blood that, you know, would taint you. Um, and, and I, I was particularly interested in, in, in the racialization argument. I mean, certainly there's an enormous part of, um, the book, you know, I, I, I also enjoy when people point out anachronisms in the book that, you know, they wouldn't have had an argument like that about woke culture in 1960. And I was, yes, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I swear. <laughs> Um, um, uh, uh, I was interested in kind of digging into, um, um, that element of it, the racialization element, um, the, the, the tension between the people, uh, and the religion. Um, and so, uh, a character I don't think we've mentioned yet is, uh, uh, Ruben's daughter, Judith, um, who I guess is sort of an American, um, you know, an American Jew wants to maybe assimilate more and, and what she wants to do is, uh, get a nose job. Um, and, um, and various like, uh, comic scenes or slash tragic scenes, um, go on from, from that. But, um, you know, it is, I guess, so that is the, I don't know, more contemporary, Version and and did did Brenda Potemkin in um go back Columbus did she have a nose job I can't remember yes I believe she did I think she did okay so it there's sort so this is a theme the Jewish woman wanting to get a nose job is a theme of American Jewish literature for a while um sure and and that and that's why I mean the and I don't want to give it away but I mean being very aware that I was you know being very aware that I was indulging a cliche, I wanted to, I wanted to do it in a very specific way. And so I think her nose job is not, her, her nose job is certainly not a Rothian nose job. No, although, well, I, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, the, yeah, the way the nose, the, this plot line plays out you know, was surprising and uh, entertaining. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, um, you know, whether, I mean, the debate about assimilation, you know, continues to this day. It's maybe today in America, it's more about intermarriage. Um, and, and then in, I guess in Israel, you know, this is, you know, the, the, I guess maybe for an earlier generation, the idea was that, well, you know, this is the place where you don't have to assimilate because this is the Jewish state. And, um, no, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that there was an enormous assimilation, you know, there, there still is an enormous assimilationist impulse in, in, in Israel. But I mean, that was the foundation of the Zionist project. It was turning, you know, city dwellers whose jobs were essentially to be merchants, um, and, 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 and to work in, in, um, in, in commerce or something, you know, something mercantile to turn them into farmers, to turn them into people of the land. I mean, to, 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 um, that was, in fact, you know, if you, if you broaden your idea of what assimilationist means, it is, you know, it's to create a new active physical, uh, uh, Jew, a dangerous Jew as well. And, and so, you know, it, though it wasn't the assimilation that we're thinking about, um, which is to mm-hmm. a, you know, a dominant culture, which is something that came into Jewish life through, um, you know, living under the Greeks, living under the Romans, living, you know, the, 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 the idea that, you know, one can't lose oneself in, in this, in this host culture, right? 
Um, I, 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 I certainly understand the differences between that and the self-willed project of, um, of, 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 of recreation of self-recreation, you know, with, um, with, 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 with the early Zionist movements, but at the same time, you know, that, that, that it, there, there are similar desires at work. There are similar energies at work. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was, I think I got at that in the book, or I tried to get at that in the book where I said, you know, no matter where you were, um, at this time, um, if you were a Jew, you were in the pro- you were in the process of becoming someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, that I, that's very well said. Um, and so, transition uh, <laughs> to another idea that's in the novel um, uh, is is the idea of revisionist Zionism. And so, the actual Netanyahu was the well. What, what, what was his relation to this figure, Zeb Jabotinsky? He was the secretary. I keep on, yeah, I don't know. That. I keep on seeing the secretary almost like because of the you know like. He's typing or something or answering phones. Uh, I don't. <laughs> um, he, after he was unable to, to secure a position at Hebrew University, um, he became a, a representative of Jabotinsky's um, New Zionist organization in, um, in, in New York. And, and, and essentially he edited or wrote for, like he did, you know, he wrote for a number of revisionist periodicals uh, in, in, in pre-state. You know. Can you? So I think so. I did it. I did an episode a couple months ago about um, sort of millennial Judaism, and I talked about how I felt my education and Judea- especially my Hebrew school education was sort of like deficient in a number of ways, and they didn't really teach us about the things that are like actually happening. They gave us sort of the mythologized version. So revisionist uh, Zionism, I'm sort of still, you know, I, I don't know all, all these um, the, the the different forces and different versions of Zionism that were contending with each other before the founding of. Of Israel. So can you talk a little more about that? And I'm sure many in the audience are also not sure what revisionist Zionism is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope by this point in the discussion, we have an audience, but let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possible that there's still a couple of non-Jews listening to this, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but even like I said, you know, the, yeah. uh, the, the, like I said, the, the version of the founding of the state of Israel that I was taught as a 11 year old, was not the one that was talking about the contending, you know, forces of, um, you know, stra- different strains within uh, the diaspora, like debate yeah. about Zionism. I mean, I, I think I, the revisionist Zionist movement is, um, I think, probably best encapsulated by the idea that that you know Jewish self determination comes from um, uh, uh, um, Jewish action. And that unlike um, the liberal labor Zionists or the socialist labor Zionists, however you want to kind of um, define what was at the time, a number of different blocks, um, there were a, there was a dominant cohort that saw that the only way toward Jewish autonomy was to um, get Britain behind it to uh, certainly to get America approval, American approval. And the revisionist Zionists didn't think that the, the, the Jews should wait for the great powers of the world to grant them a country. They thought that they should go and take it. And, and that's the difference. And the difference is, is, is um, uh, 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 Jews who saw a way through statecraft um, to the creation of uh, 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 the Jewish state and, and Jews who, 
who would deal with the statecraft later, but for them it was um, um, it was a matter of, uh, of of self-activated, let's say, uh, uh, autonomy. And um, I want to say also the revision of Zionism um, was deeply bound up with the Holocaust because the the reason why Jews needed to get a state now and couldn't didn't have to wait around for, for, for Britain to say, okay, you can have one now or for, you know, or, 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 or for the Americans to agree with the British. Okay. You know, give them one um, was because of the, you know, imminent emergency of, of European jury. And um, it was Jabotinsky who would travel throughout Europe in the eve of the Holocaust in the late thirties Um who would warn that unless there was this free Jewish emigration to Palestine, all of these people would die. And um, he turned out, of course, to have been correct. And, um, and he viewed the Zionists, uh, the, of, again, many other blocks, but non-revisionist Zionists, right, who were people who were very much more in favor of negotiation, you know. Um, he viewed them, I think, as accommodationists and as um, um, with, with some blood on their hands. Um, that said, there were certainly people farther to the right than Jabotinsky. There was, you know, the Stern gang, for example. Um, you know, people who were truly engaged in um, in daily uh, regular terrorist activities um, um, in order to secure, a, you know, a, a, a Jewish state. And Jabotinsky, um, you know, I shared their um, urgency, but not their methods. Okay, so maybe the 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 one strain of zionism which perhaps was the, the dominant one was more um sort of a well, the strain, the was the dominant one i mean revisionist zionism was was essentially banished from the state i mean uh jabotinsky was made persona non grata in mandatory palestine and his he was not allowed back into the country by the british um and uh, when he died uh uh in upstate new york at a, you know, a Beitar training camp, basically, uh, at a heart attack. You know, he, he was buried in Long Island and he was not, his body was not allowed to be brought back to uh, 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 to the Jewish state. Um, it really, it, you know, the revisionists were out of favor and were seen as um, troublemakers at, 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 at best and, and terrorists at worst by, by many in Israel. Uh, uh, you only see their influence Coming back, you know, really uh, the time of Begin and later and uh, 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 and Shamir and um, uh, Bibi represents, without a doubt, the sort of return of the repressed. Um, <laughs> um, um, he was the, the ultimate triumph of the revisionist um, ideology. Okay, so we can say the revisionist ideology was the like intellectual, like grandfather of the um, Likud uh, politics that Netanyahu uh, practiced. Yeah, of, of, of Bibiism, which is, you know, which is this idea that, um, you know, if revisionist Zionism said, 
we need this country because the Jews are dying or they will die because this is an existential threat. It's a kind of a clear and present danger in that way. Um, you know, Bibi's um, version of it is, is, you know, the existential threat is constant. Um, uh, um, the, the threat of, of, of imminent death surrounds us and only I can save you. Right. And so, and in some, well, tell me if this is, sounds right or wrong to you. In some ways, the division also is sort of the polite Jew versus the rude Jew. And, um, and the, you know, the insider game of, of trying to get a Jewish state, like through the British, you know, like British man, the mandate, or maybe uh, that's probably not the right word because there was a British mandate, but you know, the, the, uh, British foreign secretary declaring, okay, this is, this is now the land for the Jews versus a sort of direct action, violent, uh, possibly terroristic or definitely terroristic, um, sort of outside game of, uh, yeah, using, using violence, um, mm-hmm. to, to do it. And then, you know, uh, uh, or Ruben Blum certainly seems like a polite person who's trying to, um, you know, uh, treat everyone nicely. And the, uh, Netanyahu's, or as you easily term them, the Yahoo's, um, this family of sort of, uh, you know, crazy, uh, I don't know, uh, the Knicks or something, um, you know, they're just going nuts and sort of tearing shit up. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's an entertaining clash. I, so I feel like I'm going into somewhat of a disservice in novel by not emphasizing that it is very funny in, in, in various places and it is not, it's, it's some way a novel of ideas, but, um, there's comic parts that, that remind me of Roth once again. And it's not, you know, it's not about, uh, primarily, you know, debates in, 1920 uh europe um it is about these characters who are uh smashing up against each other um so i do do want to say that and so there's let's talk just a little bit more about the children and how you decide to portray them and uh they are like 13 10 and 7 or something the three netanyahu boys who run riot over the (laughs) pleasant household of um the the blum family and i think i mean I, i I think you have the the first line that young BB says. I think he says, uh, "We're not idiots." Um, when the the parents are trying to spell out the word "cookie" or something, uh, you know, uh, because they think maybe they don't understand. And mm-hmm. you have a lot of um, I don't know body humor <laughs> involved in this. So how did you? It, was this is this uh, an accurate representation of what of what the young Netanyahu boys were like, or how did you decide to portray these characters this way? How do I know what the young Netanyahu boys? Are like? <laughs> um, no, I think it comes from watching a lot of Three Stooges. <laughs> Frankly, you know, there's something about that 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 trio. Um, you know, um, that's so. Um, I don't know. That's so deep in 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 comedy. At least a comedy that I I I, I remember watching on like late night TV when they kind of didn't know what to put on. And so you would see like the many generations of the Stooges. You'd be like, oh, that's not the same. Those aren't the same Stooges. Uh, uh, and, right, there were Shemp um, and other ones that sort of faded away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about the, the, the dynamics. I mean, I have a brother. And, you know, three boys in a house is uh, uh, 
it's a lot of boy and um and especially you know in that 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 age range and um no i wanted to 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 just have this sense of um of shamelessness i think it's one thing that i always you know um my brother has 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 children and um you know and so i'm i'm their uncle and i i always remember you know when when someone would um when someone would call uh our, you know our 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 former president who you know um I, I like talking about him as if he's dead our former president um uh, uh um you know when someone would say that he was shameless right or or acted like a child i i you know i would always think of of you know of my nephew because it's that it's that same sort of i'm just going to say anything that pops into my head and i'm going to do anything i want to 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 do and then when i'm called out about it i'm just going to lie and i'm going to lie and lie and lie and lie and it's that it's that behavior it's um it's can i have a cookie no then they take the cookie and like break everything while they you know go and get it themselves and did you take a cookie did you no you know and it's it's that shamelessness of of childhood that doesn't um that doesn't in some way ever um recede and 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 um and finds its way into adulthood with far more dangerous consequences than 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 cookie filching and so um i wanted to kind of show uh you know childhood tyranny mm-hmm. and shamelessness yeah yeah i mean shamelessness is, is definitely a um i think it's reclining clipped at one point that trump's superpower was shamelessness whereas there there are just norms that other national figures wouldn't break well, and like, he, but he was like, fine with it but it's like it's the it's the it's the 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 superpower of every child is shamelessness and 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 in a way with a child you know you're not really sure where that you know the lies that come with that the the, the shameless lies or the shameless um uh uh tantrums you know uh uh how much they are controllable right or 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 you know or or what is the best way in which you could teach a child to put them under control to 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 get control of them um I, I, yeah, I think that, that, you know, his younger brother who has to wear a diaper for car trips, um, uh, when his mother's changing him, BB reaches over just to flick his penis. And, um, you know, that to me is, is, uh, in that gesture, I think that everything is contained. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, um, you know, uh, cruelty for its own sake, is I you know and um, Adam Sermer uh, recently published an edited collection titled uh, "The Cruelty Is the Point" or "What's the Point?" Um, mm-hmm. and that I think that was a phrase he came up with that resonated with a lot of people about the Trump era. Um, let me see. Oh, so there's one character we haven't discussed that much, and that is um, uh, Sila. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, uh, Benzio Neno's wife, who I knew uh, practically nothing about um, as a real historical figure. Um, and how did you? Yeah, how did you envision her and 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 her role, especially and her relation to Edith? Is that right? Um, who is Ruben's yeah. wife? Um, 
I think, you know, Tila is, you know, Tila. I mean, she's the only person who can tame Benzil Netanyahu, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, um, and she wants to talk about, um, a different view, let's say, of, of, of Israel or of, 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 of the land, right? He, she's married to a man who, who, who lives in sort of a metaphor become, become real, a dream become real, right? Uh, the idea of, uh, of a return to Zion, and suddenly it is now something that is real and around us, and has uh, uh, an army and essential services and schools, and and her uh, 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 her existence is saying, "Great, I'm glad the the the, the dream has been achieved. Um, what about air conditioning and disposable diapers? You know, um, and this idea of kind of wanting." progress, wanting um, bounty, wanting this American um, um, 50s uh, uh, and early 60s kind of consumer ideal. Um, and I think Edith is, is sort of the opposite, you know, because Edith, of course, is, is born in the middle of it, um, you know, American. Um, I think that she is, you know, a frustrated um librarian, a frustrated books person, and, and, and maybe even more than her husband, um, wants to, um, retreat from ideological certainty. And I, I think, I just, I think of her as just someone who wants to be left alone so she can read. <laughs> and I feel very kind of close to her because of that. You know, it's like when everyone else is fighting and doing, you have the idea that, you know, she just kind of wants to go into a corner and just, you know, whatever mothers do in dark corners, I assume. You <laughs> um, yeah, what I mean, so I, a minor part of the novel that I enjoyed a lot was sort of the interactions between Ruben and Edith when all the crisis is happening around them. And it seemed to me like this is a betrayal of a good marriage. And, and even though this crazy thing is happening and everyone is stressed out and she's really mad at him for inviting these nutsos into the yeah. house. Um, but it seemed like they were like, okay, we're, you know, we're gonna, we're not happy. I'm not happy with this, but we're gonna get somehow get through this together. And that, you know, that I, struck me. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think that they, that also what, what binds them almost perversely is a, is a kind of inability to, to communicate with their daughter. I think that they were very much like a couple who, because of the gulf between, themselves and their daughter have been brought closer together, which I, I also think is an odd type of intimacy to be, to, to, to be, um, to be brought closer to a spouse because of your, your distance from your child. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, I, so I, I guess I teased it before. I should just say the, you know, the reason I feel like I, this book was aimed squarely at me, um, aside, you know, uh, Roth is one of my favorite authors. I've discussed him on the show before. I lived in Ithaca, New York for four or five years, uh, when my ex was in grad school at Cornell. So I experienced a number of, uh, central Western New York winters, which you portray in a very, um, you know, a way that, uh, made my, uh, you know, kind of chill down my spine, um, thinking about all those all trudging through the snow, um, and it piling up on you. And, um, and I, you know, so I, took a class from Harold Bloom in college. I was only auditing it, but, um, so I saw the man, uh, himself and 
uh, he certainly was a singular, singular figure. And I couldn't, you know, there, there was a picture. So I'm trying to remember if I had this correctly. There was a story in that the uh, Yellow Night magazine did about uh, Marie Boroff, who was the first woman who got tenure in the English department at Yale. I believe mm-hmm. I have this right. And so, and they, so they printed a picture that was like the faculty, you know, yearbook photo kind of thing from like 1959. And there were two people who you know, stood out from this crowd. One is Marie Boroff, the only woman. And the other is Her- young Harold Bloom, who just, you know, everyone else is this like waspy, you know, type. And he just looks so different. Um, and, it it's you know i think they they even pointed out like who he was in this photo because you know he's one of the only other people who remember from the yale english department faculty of 1959 or something but yeah so um and yeah all the so there were a number of reasons why i uh was like wow this this novel is speaking to me um and so obviously not everyone's gonna have that but if they're somehow still listening to this they should probably read this book because there's a lot there's even more in here that we haven't touched on and um and it's, yeah, it's, it's comic. It is a novel of ideas that has a historical perspective and speaks, you know, with a lot of knowledge about Jewish history. But even if you maybe don't care about all that stuff, you'll you probably will just enjoy the comic misadventures of, of these characters. Um, so, so I appreciate the book and I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything, I feel like we've gone on for a while. Is there anything else you want to no, say or is- have we? This has been fun. This is, you know, this is, this, we just, this is, this has been nice. I just, uh, what, what, what is it? I, everything I've done for this book has been online, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, uh, I just, this, yeah, we have to start being in person again. <laughs> well, I, this is, I mean, this is a book that if you, if someone else has, you know, if you've read this book and someone else has read this book, you probably will want to talk about it with them right you might want to date them you might want to marry them you might or just sleep with them you might want something <laughs> you or know, you might want to run away can only be done in you might want to run away from them or something you know right. escape escape the uh the swirl mm-hmm. of um you know the, <laughs> of you know uh, jewish history bearing down on on, mm-hmm. on many of us um okay so the um yeah, so so you know links links to the to the book where you can find it will be below into your personal size or anything else. You, are you are you a social media person or or not particularly? No, I I can't I can't do it. Okay, well that is wise and um. Or I don't is it I don't know but yeah I would you know I get to uh, I, I get to my my grandma yeah I get too heated. <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, that is something that can make one flourish on Twitter and other such spaces, but for, for you know, the personal and internal um, health, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, it's probably not a good yeah. thing. So yeah. uh, staying away makes sense. Okay, so people should check out the book. Do you want to hold it up so the copy I have is has a different cover than the one that you have? But the copy, the actual copy, you can see it there, and you can see the snows of central western New York there. Okay, so, so Joshua, thank you for coming on. Uh, people should check out the book. Once again, the Netanyahu's kind of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode of the history of a very famous family. You know, people can rate, they can review, they can do whatever they want. Um, and, but thanks for listening and I'll see you again next time. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>